Welcome back for part two of Napoleon Bonaparte's takeover of France and so forth. So in our last podcast, we talked about Napoleon kind of rising to power during the French Revolution time and about his childhood as well. And then he kind of takes over power of the military and then eventually stages the military coup and then starts fighting with the rest of the world. And eventually he is the emperor and... That's kind of where we left off. He was starting to kind of lose power, or we were alluding to him about to kind of fall apart. And we talked about the informal downfalls, and that was our last podcast. And now we're going to be talking about a much more formal downfall of Napoleon, and that is his military downfall when he tries to invade Russia. And this does not go too well. Well, I mean, it goes pretty smoothly at first, I guess, but ultimately it doesn't go well. Foreshadowing. So... 1812, the War of 1812, not the American one, Napoleon's invasion of Russia. So Russia is huge, and it is, you know, a lot of people, a lot of land, and they opposed the continental system. And if you remember, the continental system was that trading embargo that Napoleon wanted everyone not to trade with Britain in hopes to starving them out. Well, Britain was, or I'm sorry, Britain and Russia were like, well, whatever, we're going to keep trading. And so Napoleon's like, well, I can't really march to Britain because they're an island country, so it looks like I can go to Russia. We're attacking Russia. So the only way that he felt he could stop Russia was to invade. So he takes 600,000 men and heads to Russia. This is a very large amount of, of, of forces, and these are actually some of Napoleon's best soldiers. They have been with him for a very long time. They are very experienced, seasoned war veterans. And the Russians um, took an interesting approach. They ran away. They refused to fight. They retreated for hundreds of miles. So the beginning of the war was very easy. I mean, the, Rus the, the Russians would run away. The French would march forward. It was kind of like seeing a mirage in the distance. You might see the troops, but they just kept running away. And this went on for so long. If you remember, I said, Russia is huge. I mean, you think about America and our time zones. Well, let's compare this to Russia. Just recently here, um, Russia downgraded to nine time zones. So think about how big a time zone here, here in America is. They have nine of them. Um, and, and roughly the equivalent size of Russia. If you look up at a full moon at night, the landmass that you see with the full moon, I'm not talking about the dark side of the moon or anything, but if you see just the landmass that's illuminated is roughly the size of Russia. It is monstrous. So anyhow, um, as the Russians would run away, they did this thing called scorched earth. And definition time for you. It is a military tactic of ruining the land so it is inhospitable, which means unlivable. So what they would do is they, they would ruin this land, and they did this by, they would burn crops, they would burn down buildings, they would poison water supply, like wells and stuff, they would kill livestock, um, just anything and everything they could do to make the land terrible for the French that were progressing forward. So um, Russia did not stop to fight until eventually the Battle of Borodino. And this was one of the bloodiest battles of basically all of the Napoleonic War. And France won this battle, but had just terribly heavy casualties. Um, just huge amounts of fighting and bloodbath and so forth. So 
At this point, though, even though they won that battle, Russia actually had a little bit of a numerical advantage um, as far as troops went. went, And we'll get into that more as we go on because the Russian troops are not done yet. So now Napoleon makes it all the way to Moscow. And Moscow is the capital. And usually when you win and you get to a capital, it's like, you know, you should be greeted and like, well, hey, you know what? We put up a good fight, but you made it to our capital, so here's the key to the city. You've won. Well, that wasn't exactly what happened when Napoleon got to Moscow, because Moscow was on fire. Everyone was gone. There was no one there to offer him this key to the city that he expected. Um, it really cheapened the victory, because the capital meant you were supposed to win. Well, the city was set on fire by the Russians, kind of by sabotage or by scorched earth, if you will. The city had basically been looted. There was still stuff there. However, a lot of the food was gone, and a lot of the areas of shelter was also gone or destroyed or not as habitable as they had hoped for. So Napoleon hung out for a while, kind of expecting, hey, I won, I won, I won. Well, there was no one there to kind of confirm that. So eventually he said, you know, i, I got to get back to France. So on the way home, the Russian winter started to kind of come down on them on full force. So his supplies are low, food is low, they don't have appropriate clothing for being out in the winter, and those Russian forces we talked about started conducting guerrilla warfare attacks, which just are like kind of hit-and-run attacks. So um, eventually these Russian guerrilla warfare attacks kind of steered the French to go back the exact same way that they came. And the reason this is a bad idea to go back the same way you came is because the land is still scorched. So the horses had no grass to eat, um, and eventually the starving men um, had nothing to eat either because there was no food or any of that stuff. So they started to eat their horses. So around 200,000 horses died, we figure. Forty thousand men made it back alive. Now, if you look at that in in the grand scheme of things, six hundred thousand went out. Forty thousand made it back, and these guys that made it back were just weak and tired. And so, this really hurt the French army, and it made them open for attack. So, other European states said, "Well, hey, this is uh, this is time for us to attack." So they went in and they actually captured Paris. And so now Napoleon, once you know the master of Europe has been you know captured, um, and Napoleon was sent and exiled to the island of Elba, and the monarchy was restored um, in France, but it was very limited. So uh, King Louis the Eighteenth now is in control, and you know didn't really have a lot of power. More of a kind of a a show king. So, um, Napoleon, still having loyal supporters, was able to escape from the island of Elba. And, you know, as his boat is kind of coming back to France, um, you know, their soldiers were dispatched to capture him and, and so forth. And when he got there, he kind of parted his his uh, jacket and said, soldiers of the 5th Regiment, sorry, I don't know how to do my French accent here, so this is what you got. Soldiers of the 5th Regiment, I am your emperor. If there is a man among you who would kill his emperor, here I am, kind of presenting his chest, like, shoot me if you will. Well, yeah, the people were like, yeah, we love you, and started cheering, and like, they were happy to have him back. So, the powers that had defeated Napoleon 
um, they decided to rally again to go after him. And they kind of gave a nickname to Napoleon. I don't know if you really want to call this a nickname. Usually I think of nicknames, I think of shorter, smaller names. But this was their nickname. Enemy and disturber of the tranquility of the world. Yeah, that's a lot easier to say than Napoleon. Uh, so anyhow, they assembled an army and moved to Belgium to fight against um, uh, Napoleon. So this was the Battle of Waterloo, and this was in Belgium, June 18th, 1815. So in one corner, we have the Duke of Wellington commanding Prussian and Brit uh, Britain forces and the currently undefeated commander. On the other end, we have Napoleon um, leading tired soldiers, and Napoleon himself had stomach flu or hemorrhoids and was in a tent the entire time. The battle had rained the night before and was raining a little bit during, and it was really muddy, and it was tough to maneuver. So, more about this battle. So the rain had kind of stopped the cannonballs from bouncing. Um, if you remember Napoleon, he, had, he was really good with artillery. He knew how to maximize his cannons and, you know, kind of almost get the cannonballs to skip like stones, kind of. Well, um, so that kind of hurt the artillery advantage. Also, Napoleon, since he was ill, he couldn't be on the field. So he was getting all of his information, you know, kind of, think of it like the telephone game. People are running back and forth telling him information. And his commands never truly made it to the generals. Like, like he would say something and it would get maybe modified a little bit on the way there, like that game telephone we talked about. And so it made it out there, but it was kind of different from what he had, he had said. And, and historians kind of look at it and say, well, if we, if people had actually followed Napoleon's ideas and the way he said to do things, they think he actually might have won the Battle of Waterloo. So anyhow, he was defeated and he was captured again and he was exiled to the island of Helena. All right, and if you look on a map, Helena is a heck of a lot smaller than Elba and a heck of a lot farther away from France. So uh, eventually he just kind of died out there and the forces did not want to kill Napoleon. They didn't want him to become like a martyr or someone for people to rally behind. They just wanted him to kind of fade into obscurity. And he eventually died on Helena, and that was the end of it. So we're going to stop there for Napoleon, and we're going to move on with our next unit, and we're going to talk about industrialization and how the entire world is kind of going into this industrialized age of building things, mass production and factories and all of that fun stuff. So... Uh, join us next time for industrialization. Thanks for listening.